0: Well, today we are going to be in Psalms. So if you brought a Bible, whether it's a digital uh, Bible on your phone or a paper copy, open it up to the Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, and open to Psalms 22. As you're turning to the Psalms, I want to tell you a story that happened to me when I was in college. Uh, I transferred after my freshman year to a school named John Brown University. Now, your thought might be the same as my first thought. When I heard the name John Brown, I'm thinking, no way. I am not going to John Brown University. I, like, it sounded like it was like maybe just a step above Billy Joe Bob Community College. Like I'm just thinking, this is not for me. And then I found out it was in Arkansas, and I had just seen the movie Deliverance, and this was not a good combination. All right, That was not a recommendation anyway. Don't, you don't need to go watch Deliverance. But I'm thinking, no way. I am not going there. All right, long story short, I end up transferring to JBU, And I absolutely thrived. I was just struggling spiritually my freshman year. And so to transfer to a Christian college that had this focus on wanting to prepare me for just life and mission and following Jesus, this thirsty soul just came in like a sponge and wanted to soak it all up. And so rather than having to see guys with inappropriate things on their dorm walls, I was going to dorm Bible studies. Like, instead of going to class and hearing certain things, I was going to class where professors were praying before we started a test. Like, I just was loving it. In fact, I was so much of a Christian nerd, I even liked chapel. Right? Most of my peers, they, they didn't like chapel. Right? Tuesday and Thursday, you had to go. You were only allowed six skips in, over the entire semester, so you pretty much had to go to chapel. Now, Tuesday chapels, th- those weren't bad. Those were actually really, really good. We'd usually bring in some like, big-name speaker, and they would have a great message, and you'd just walk out going, oh, yes, that was, that was fantastic. But Thursdays, I will give my peers credit. They had a right to complain. Thursday chapels were departmental chapels, and it was, it was not very good. Now, I'll say this. When the Bible department was in charge of the chapel or maybe the music department, it, it was pretty good. But you do not understand the definition of pain until you've tried to have the engineering department lead you in song, okay? Now, I have a number of no- engineering friends. That's not an insult. Okay, it was a little bit. But it was not a hit. That's why between my sophomore and junior year, uh, the kind of planning team decided to make a change. They switched from these departmental chapels to worship chapels. Now, in my opinion, they were all supposed to be worship. But what they did was they recruited various college students, even a few faculty, to put together these worship teams. And we would spend the majority of our Thursdays in song, as well as prayer and scripture. Sometimes they were very interactive. There was something that we would do as a part of the morning. But they became a hit. And suddenly, people stopped complaining about chapel. And I was no longer the only one who liked chapel. I was no longer alone. Well, okay, except that one chapel. It was in April. The, the trees were in full, you know, bud and bloom. The, the birds were singing again. The weather's getting warm, which meant finals were on the way. And I was studying my butt off. I was working so hard hard. And so I'm only getting about four, maybe five hours of sleep a night. And I'm starting to run really, really thin. And I remember it got to be a Thursday and I'm just getting desperate. I'm hungry to connect with God. And and so I go to this Thursday chapel, just ready to just soak it in, to worship, to sing. And we sang some songs and we sat down and one of our peers got up and started doing this like little devotional. Well, after the devotional, we went back into this time of song, but they did not invite us to stand. And it was really awkward because the song was, I stand in awe of you. And I'm sitting there like ready to bust. Like I want to worship and just, this is just, this is just conflicting. So finally I couldn't take it anymore. So I stood up expecting my peers to do the same. And after the chorus, I open my eyes so that I can sing the words of verse 2. And it's in that moment I realize I am truly alone. And what made matters worse is I'm kind of sitting right up at the front, and there's about a thousand pairs of eyes behind me, seeing me stand all by myself. I think the worship leader felt really, really bad for me, because as we came to the chorus, he took a moment and said, let's please all stand, just to like, let the guy out of his misery Have you ever had that moment? A a moment where you just feel absolutely alone. You you feel exposed. (laughs) Like you you show up at a costume party and accept it's not a costume party. Or or you ask the woman when she's due and you find out she's not pregnant. Like Like in these moments, you feel suddenly alone. But the times that we feel the worst aren't in the awkward, silly moments. It's usually in the really painful moments. It's when you find out that you've lost your job, you feel alone. It's when one of your really, really close friends or your spouse, they they betray you and you feel alone. It's when the doctor says it's cancer, you feel alone. It's when you lose a loved one or you're fighting depression, you feel alone. The paradoxical thing about this, though, that sense of feeling alone is universal. All of us have a moment or a time where we just feel absolutely alone. We feel like no one understands us. No one's going to get it. We feel like everything is removed and we are exposed. And it's uncomfortable. It's painful. So, So what do we do? Some people, when they're starting to feel this way, they try to medicate it. They might run to food or to drink, maybe even certain types of drinks. Some people, they try to distract themselves, whether it be through entertainment or a hobby, or maybe they just pour themselves into their job. Other people, they try to escape the pain through sleep or maybe seeking a thrill. And some people, because they're feeling so alone, they try to connect with others, but sometimes they connect not in healthy ways. Uh, Some of us, we try to connect maybe through nature. But but some people, they try to handle this emotion by connecting with God. Uh, For some people, it's singing. Others, it's prayer. But throughout the centuries, a number of people, to try and deal with the emotional pain, they turn to the scriptures and they turn especially to the Psalms. The Psalms are these ancient poems, these ancient song lyrics that just expose a raw human emotion. And some way, somehow, as you dive in and you read these really raw, authentic words, some way, somehow, it comforts you. And I hope today that you receive that. I hope that you walk out of here feeling encouraged, that you feel comforted, especially if you're going through something really, really difficult right now. As we look at these Psalms, one in particular, you'll walk out realizing that you do not suffer alone and you will not suffer forever. But at the same time, we're in the middle of this series called His Story. I believe that the entire Bible points to Jesus, and the Psalms are no different. And so we're going to try and do two things today. We're going to try and see Jesus in this, And also see how it comforts us. But I believe those things aren't two separate things. I believe they actually come together. Because I believe that when you truly look at Jesus, that's when you begin to understand why you do not suffer alone and you will not suffer forever. So let's pray as we get ready to go into the scriptures. Father God, we come before you in prayer because we're about to read from these words that were written way before any of us were ever on this earth, and they will be here far longer after we are gone. And so we realize that we are coming to something that that is beyond us. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us as we come to these scriptures to not just read it through our own filter, trying to figure this out just for ourselves, but instead to come through it through a Jesus filter, to understand what it is that you wrote for people way back when, And yet the truth that you embedded there, even for us today in 2017. So Father, I pray for everyone in this room, no matter what their age, no matter what their spiritual background, that you would help them to get something out of this. That they would see Jesus, they would sense your presence, and they would walk out of here encouraged and comforted. And that they would have ringing true in their heart and their head that they do not suffer alone, and they will not suffer forever. So, Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 22. Uh, Originally, I was planning for us to kind of look at several psalms. There are a number of psalms that point to Jesus. If you're doing the His Story Bible reading plan right now, this week you would have looked at a number of those psalms. And, you know, some of them like Psalm 2 and Psalm 16, even Psalm 118. they, They give you glimpses of Jesus. But probably, in my opinion, the most powerful Messianic psalm is Psalm 22. But like all the other psalms, not all, most of the other psalms, many of them, it not only could point to Jesus, but it also strikes us at the heart. And so that's why I thought, let's just dive into one, because it will do both what I want it to do. It will help us to see Jesus, but I think it'll also speak to your heart. This is written by David. We've been looking at David a little bit in this His Story series. Uh, He was chosen by God to be the king. Uh, He was a man after God's own heart is the description of him. God used David to establish a line of kings through which would come the Messiah, which we know as Jesus. Um, And this was written about a thousand years before Jesus set foot on the earth. Keep that in mind. A thousand years before Jesus ever arrived as a baby at Christmas. So we're going to start Psalm 22 right at the very beginning in verse 1. Kids, if you do not have a Bible, I've got the scripture up on the screen, so even you can follow along with us. Oh, by the way, I normally teach from the ESV. This week, uh, I, for, my, for 2017, I've been using the Christian Standard Bible just for my own personal reading. And just as I was working on uh, it this week, I just like some of the things that the CSB did. So I've chosen just for this Sunday to do the, the Christian Standard Bible. So that's what's up on the screen today. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance, from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Skip down to verse 6 now. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Do you get the sense that David was having a bad day? Yeah, he just kind of lays it out there, doesn't he? He just exposes it. Thing is, you've probably said very similar words. You've probably had moments where you felt like a worm. If you've ever fought depression, there are moments where you just feel like you are worse than everyone else. You are just down in the dumps. You feel like a worm. If you've ever, uh, you know, wrestled with atheism or, or, you know, just had questions, you maybe have whispered, my God, my God, are you really there? You're, you're wondering if he's abandoned you. you. If you've ever battled, you know, cancer or maybe lost a loved one. I, I couldn't imagine, like, losing one of my children I think of those moments. I just yell at the heavens. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? What David is saying out loud, many of us have said in our hearts. He's exposing his feelings. And what's important for us to note is that feelings do not establish fact. Now, it's okay to expose your feelings. I mean, David here exposes them and we do not see God take away the kingship. He does not dethrone David because of these words. I think God's okay with our honesty. I think it's okay for us to just come and just say, God, I don't get it. This sucks. Why is this happening? And I think God's okay with it. I think he can handle it. But we also have to realize that our feelings do not establish truth. I th- think about it. Kids, is David really a worm here? No. I have yet to meet a worm that can pick up a pen and write poems. Okay? It just, it can't happen. He's not really a worm. But he feels like it. Likewise, has God really abandoned him? Can an ever-present God abandon you completely? He feels it. Now, as we'll see through the rest of the psalm, or if you look at the other psalms, David knows the theological truth that God has not abandoned him, that God is with him. But he feels it. He feels alone. He's suffering. So, how does David deal with his suffering? Well, today we're going to see that what he does is he reminds himself that he does not suffer alone and he will not suffer forever. So, let's look at those two things. First, You do not suffer alone. Look at uh, verse, uh, start in verse three with me. But you are holy. So David's writing to God. He says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. Basically, he's reminding himself that others have felt what he has felt. That his experience is not his alone. He, all he has to do is think back through his own people. The Israelites were in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. They knew suffering. It, you can go to some of the stories that even after they crossed into the promised land, there was still suffering that took place. And in those moments, they cried out to God. It's like David is reminding himself that what I'm going through isn't unique to me. He feels alone, but his experience is not his alone. Which means the moments that you feel really down, you you feel so alone and isolated and disconnected, you've got to realize what you're feeling is what everyone else has felt at some time or another. Which is why you can reach out. Don't make the mistake that so many of us make and sequester ourselves away, trying to keep everyone else out, trying to put on a great front. Because now you're just living a lie. But David, he's living authentically. He's exposing it. And he's realizing, you know what? I'm suffering. And yet our ancestors suffered. I'm not alone in this. I've I've not kept it very secret, that I went through some tough things emotionally in the planting of Riverwood. Uh, I remember it was in March of 2015 that for the first time in my life, I entered a depression. It it was so bad that I would actually go into our front bedroom. This is before Connie was living with us. And I would sometimes do my study in there. And I actually would go in and not just shut the door to keep it quiet. I would lock the door because I didn't want anyone to come in. I wanted to be so alone. And it was dark and it was scary. I wanted to quit. And I realized, I can't stay here. What did I do? So I decided to reach out. A friend of mine, Jeff, planted a church up in Thief Falls, uh, Minnesota. He's now planting a church over in South Dakota. But he's been very open about his own fight with depression. It's, It's been throughout his entire life. So I called Jeff. Jeff, I'm not doing well. How have you gone fought through this? How have you gone on to see, you know, this church grow and see people meet Jesus while you yourself are battling these things? And he just began to speak truth to me. Some of it very practical, but also he just took me back to the scriptures. Aaron, you got to rely on the truth. Don't just go with what your feelings say, go with what you know is right and true. So sometimes when you're in your darkest moment, you need to reach out because what you're feeling is not unique to you. It feels like it, but remember, feelings do not establish fact. So when you're down, you've lost a loved one, rather than just constantly crying alone in your room, reach out to someone that you know has also lost a loved one. When when you feel like a friend has betrayed you, they've left you, they won't talk to you anymore, turn to someone else that you know has gone through the same thing. Reach out to others. Live authentically. Let them come in because you are not alone. You do not suffer alone. Next thing we see is that David, it's not just that his experience is not his alone. He is also not spiritually alone. Look at verse 9. David writes to God, It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. How many babies do you think have an awareness of God's presence? Yeah, pretty much zero. They don't have any sense. That, yeah, there's a God. He created me. Oh, look, he's given me a mother. I should be really grateful and thankful. I should probably worship him right now. No. babies cry saying, I need milk. I need to be kept warm. I want to sleep. All right? Very selfish little creatures. Good thing they're cute so that we will continue to love them. David's saying, even at my birth, even when I wasn't aware of your presence, you were with me. So guess what? Right now in the midst of this suffering, even though it feels like you've abandoned me, even though I'm not aware of your presence, you're with me. He's reminding himself that he's not spiritually alone. He's saying, I feel alone, but the truth is I'm not. Look at my birth. Look when I was a baby. Here's the truth. And so if God was with me, then I think I can trust that God is with me now. His experience wasn't his alone, and he was not spiritually alone. Something that helps us, you've got to remember, David is living a thousand years before Jesus. All right, so all he has is he can look at God, right? They just know there's one God. He did not have the awareness that God was really God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. On this side of history, we can look back at Jesus. And when we look back at Jesus, we begin to understand Our experience is not ours alone, and we are not spiritually alone. Uh, Look at it over in verse 16 with me. As we come to verse 16, I want you to stop thinking about David writing this for a moment, and I now want you to imagine Jesus. And I want you to go to the cross. Imagine Jesus hanging there. And now listen to these words. For dogs have surrounded me. Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, he has religious leaders around him, mocking him. Kind of like what we read back in uh, verse 8, where, you know, he says they were mocking him. Oh, he relies on the Lord. Let the Lord save him. Jesus is experiencing that. There, There are Roman soldiers around. They have whipped him and shredded his back. They've jammed a crown of thorns upon his head. They're having a lot of fun. They enjoyed torturing people. There were dogs surrounding Jesus for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Think about this, kids. This is written hundreds of years before the Romans ever uh, created the idea of a cross, of nailing someone to a tree. And yet David is talking about his hands and his feet being pierced because God is helping him to write this. Verse 17 I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. And that happened. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, soldiers are down gambling for his clothing. And because they saw it was a seamless uh, tunic, they actually decided rather than rip it to shreds and each take a piece of this famous carpenter's clothing, they gamble for it, and they divided it among themselves. Jesus knows suffering. Because not only was he going through this physical suffering, he's going through emotional suffering. He's being mocked, he's being spit upon, he's being rejected. It's through Jesus that God created humans. As we've already seen in this His Story series back in Genesis, when God created mankind in his image, they were built in the image of Jesus. And yet here they are rejecting Jesus. He is going through physical suffering and emotional suffering. So that means whatever suffering you're going through, Jesus understands probably even far better than you realize. I I don't want to discount any suffering that you've gone through. Now, I've been so blessed that I haven't had to lose a lot of people in my life to death. I haven't had to battle cancer. I, I haven't had to go through tons and tons of those sort of things. Maybe some of you have. If you've had to escape abuse, or loss of loved ones, if you've been betrayed, if you've had a lot of these difficult things happen to you in life, I'm sorry. But no matter how painful it was, Jesus understands. His suffering is worse than anything you've gone through. So your experience is not yours alone. He understands suffering. But not only does he understand your experience, he also understands your emotion. Because when Jesus was hanging on that cross, he cries out. And what is one of the things he yells out? Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He understands the emotion. So when you feel alone, the first place that you should reach out is Jesus. Because he understands what you're going through in the experience. He understands the emotion. Because he's been there. He was fully God. But he was also fully human. And as you look to Jesus, it can help bring comfort. And you realize you do not suffer alone. There's another thing that David helps us see in this. He helps us see that we do not suffer alone, but also that we will not suffer forever. We will not suffer forever. Look down, skip all the way over to verse 22. Verse 22 and 23. David writes, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. Okay, does David have a personality disorder? Because just moments ago, he was praising God. And I mean, sorry, he was complaining about God saying, you've abandoned me, and now he's praising him. What can cause this shift? It's what he says next, verse 24. For he, God, has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. David, as he thinks back through Israel's history, realizes there were moments where they cried out to God. And God answered. He responded. And he relieved their suffering. That they did not suffer forever. It, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing uh, his letter to the church in Rome, he quoted this Old Testament prophet named Joel. A- and we know that as Romans 10.13. It simply says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. This is one of the gifts of suffering, by the way. When you are suffering, often we either run from God or we run to God. And we allow the suffering to cause us to run to God, we will be saved. Our suffering will not last forever. David continues uh, back in Psalm 22, go to verse 25. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Did you hear it? The humble, the poor, the hungry, they will eat and not just get a little morsel, they will be satisfied. Their suffering will end. It will not last forever. Now, I I would suspect that maybe one or two of you has an objection right now going on inside your heart or your mind. You're like, Aaron, I've been suffering with this, or I've got a loved one who's been suffering with this, and we've prayed and prayed and prayed. We've called upon the name of the Lord, and yet we're not seeing them be saved. The cancer continues. The crying continues. The depression won't lift. And you're daring to tell me that this will not last forever? Yes. Because if your faith is in Jesus, Jesus promises you an eternity with your creator. And when you look at all of eternity, and then look at your 80, 60, 40 years of life on this earth. And even if you fill up all of those years with suffering, let's say you live to be a hundred and it's a hundred years of suffering. It is nothing but pain. You put that in light of eternity, that hundred years is a mist. It is over. Your suffering will end. In heaven, there is no more pain. There are no more tears. You will be in this relationship with your God that will not have the barrier of this earth. You will be able to see him in his glory. His radiance will light up heaven. You will live in his presence. And your suffering is done. And you know what happens when you live with that kind of sense? When you start realizing your suffering will not last forever, it begins to give you hope. And I don't mean the type of hope where you just like say, I I hope I get a puppy for my birthday. No, we're talking like a hope where you know it's going to happen. It will come about. Last Thursday, um, I achieved something in my own swimming workouts that I've only achieved two other times. Kind of like one of those bucket list things. Uh, Normally on uh, Wednesdays, I swim Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Wednesdays, I tend to just do one long swim for my workout. And I, I wasn't feeling well Wednesday. So I, I skipped it, and I went in Thursday. And so Thursday, I, I get in the water, and I push off at the W, and I'm, I'm heading out. And I kind of count them in sets, all right? So it's going to be one long, uh, one great big long swim, but I'm counting sets of laps. And I get done with my first set, and I look at my time. I'm wearing a watch, and I realize, uh-oh, that, that was too fast. Like, I'm going to be dead about halfway through here. i got to slow this down. So I, I try to calm myself down. And set two, and I look at my watch. And it's almost as fast as set one. I'm kind of shocked, because I mean, I I really tried to back off. And I do set three, and my time is still really, really good. And all of a sudden I realize, if I can keep this pace up, I will be able to achieve what I've always wanted to achieve. I've only done it two other times, but never in my forties. I'm thinking, could it really be? Like, I might do this. So after three sets, I'm thinking, I'm going for it. I'm dying by about set seven, set eight. I mean, like, my lungs are starting to scream at me. My arms are saying, okay, that's enough. We're done. My legs are starting to say, yeah, I think I might start cramping any moment. Like, it, it's, it's not looking good. And so I'm thinking, okay, eight sets, that, that'll be good. Good long swim. Great swim today, Aaron. We'll, we'll just call it good there. So as I'm getting to the end of set eight, I look at my watch. Darn it. I realize if I push set nine, I can do it. Oh, my goodness. By about halfway through... My lungs are saying, you are a fool. My arms want to fall off. My legs are saying, that's it. Yeah, we're going to cramp now. This is, this is ridiculous. I mean, I am dying. And yet my brain keeps saying, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Why? Because it was going to end. The pain was going to end. I could endure the suffering because I knew it would come to a close. The good news is, I hit that wall, I looked at my watch, and I did it with eight-tenths of a second to spare. The reason I could endure the suffering was the hope it was going to be done. The hope that I could achieve something I've always wanted to achieve. The hope that was before me. When you live with that kind of hope in Jesus, you will be amazed at what you can endure. You can be amazed what can happen in the suffering. That your cries of, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Will suddenly shift to, my God, my God, I will worship and praise you. Even in the midst Of the suffering. That's what hope can do for you. But not only does suffering give us a gift of helping us come back to God, there's another gift hidden inside of suffering. Because when you emerge out of the suffering, your suffering does not last forever. You come out of it, you're not the same. Something's happened in you, you're stronger emotionally. You're more mature spiritually. There's something different about you. Because you see, God loves you so much. He doesn't want to just leave you the way you are. He is constantly wanting to mold and shape you into the image of Jesus to restore the image that was placed in Adam and Eve and destroyed through sin. Because as he restores that, he helps you then to go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And so sometimes he then even uses suffering. Suffering. That is why the moments that you're feeling say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God is whispering back, I have never abandoned you. I have been here all along because I'm using this for your good. So when you find yourself feeling alone, you feel like you're exposed, you're down in the dumps, you're depressed, you don't understand the pain, why is God allowing this to happen? Realize you do not suffer alone. We as your church family, we've all faced it. So be a part of a growth group. Open up to others. Let's carry these burdens together. Realize your experience is not yours solo. But realize God is with you through the entire thing. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You don't know exactly when, but he will do it in his time, in his way, and the relief will come. So hold on to hope. Cling to Christ. Hang on. Keep swimming. It will end. And when you emerge out, you're different. There will be a joy on the other side of it. And you will suddenly look back and realize it was worth it. So Father God, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us to hang on to Christ. I I pray for anyone that's here today that does not know you. Their their faith is not centered upon Jesus. They're, They're trying to live this life on their own. And they're suffering. And God, I pray that right now that they would just call out upon you, that they would call upon the name of the Lord. They would say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. And you would answer them. God, I pray that today they would go from being separated from you to being your child, that they would no longer have to be alone spiritually, but that they would connect into a greater family and you become their father. And they have countless brothers and sisters who can bear these burdens with them as they go through life seeking you. God, help us to trust you. I pray for anyone here that is suffering, whether it be because of a broken relationship. Things are hard at work. There's maybe something secret going on, some secret sin that's taking place. God, whatever the suffering is, I pray that right now they would just call out to you that they would feel encouraged by David's words, realizing they do not suffer alone and they will not suffer forever. And God, in these next few moments of worship, through song and through prayer and through communion, I pray that we would sense your presence and that we would look to Jesus. And Jesus, as we see you upon that cross, we realize you understand suffering even deeper than we ever will. You understand the emotions that we feel and we face in our weakness and our tiredness. And yet, you you had your eyes set upon the Father. There was a joy that was set before you. So you endured that cross so that you could gain us. So God, right now, would you just help us to come into your embrace, to be comforted by your presence, to let your gospel just wash over us. We would be Jesus-centered people. So God, as we go to these communion elements, would you be glorified? As we take that bread Would we remember that this is the body of Christ which was broken for us? We eat it in remembrance of him. As we pick up that cup and drink of the juice, we remember the blood of Jesus which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We do this in worship of him who gave his life so that our sin could be paid for and forgiven. And to realize that our suffering is not in vain, that you are in control. You've got this. So help us to hold on, to trust you, to keep going. God, would you just minister to us in these moments? And it's in his name we pray.